0: going to be with you guys here this morning. For those of you who might be new, visiting, uh, my name is uh, Randy. I'm uh, on the elder team. Glad to be with you here this morning. Um, like kind of was already said, we're all about Jesus here. We don't come together just to hang out one time a week. We actually believe God saves us into being a family. We care deeply for one another because we're cared deeply for by God, and he put that in us to kind of be and live in such a way where we show the world what it looks like to be loved by God through our love for one another. Scriptures are all, that's all over the scriptures. And so we take that really seriously here. In fact, what we do here on Sunday morning is really a catapult, a catapult to the whole week. See that in the early church? They come together to remember and celebrate that Jesus didn't stay dead. He actually broke free from the, from the grave, and he's alive, and he's at work, and he makes us new. And so that's what Sunday mornings are about, where we, we want to encounter the real presence of Jesus here, because he's alive, and he's here, he's at work. He's already been at work throughout the morning, and He wants to continue to be at work, reminding us, if you're a follower of him, that he's made you new, and he's preparing you for the week ahead to make his name known in in the community that he has you in, whether it's a missional community and in your workspace. And if you have other fellow believers in there, you're you're uniting with them, making Jesus known to people that don't yet know him. And so we take that seriously here. We've been going through uh, the book of Joshua. We're in the Joshua series called Awesome Presence. And now we're uh, in chapter, we're finishing up chapter 5 today and getting into chapter 6. So we're in the promised land. We've crossed the Jordan River. Last week we were uh, hanging out at Gilgal with the Israelites. They were were getting healed from their circumcision. And uh, thank you, Lord, we don't have to do that. Uh, And uh, we also talked about uh, celebration of Passover. That's what they, that's what... Uh, The passages we talked through last week talked about. And God has finally brought his people, the Israelites, out of the wilderness and they are in the promised land. All this promise God has been speaking over his people for many, many years has now brought them into the promised land. And what's funny about that is now we're entering into battle battle after battle after battle after battle after battle after battle. A lot of battling. And that's one thing I love about the book of Joshua. It's very relevant to us because it is not life a fight. It is a battle. I mean, I'll tell you what, last Sunday I was so encouraged by the Lord. And it's crazy how easily we can get so encouraged by the Lord because there's a lot to be encouraged by. He promises so much in the scriptures and in our hearts and we can bring that before one another. And then the next day hits and you just don't feel that. Life hits, struggles hit. And I had that kind of like really high mountaintop, like, man, God is so good. And just entering into the week, one thing after another, after another. A lot of us, we have those weeks. It's one thing after another. And it's a fight. It's a battle. And I love that about Joshua because it's gritty. These guys are getting into the promised land and starting off, they're starting off with the toughest city, Jericho. This huge walled city. It is impossible to take, at least from the human perspective. Massive, massive city. And that's the first thing that comes up against them. And at the core of it, what's being challenged in the Joshua, you know, and the Israelites as they're entering into this land and is battle after battle, And it's like what we are having and needing at the core of our battles that we come and face and our struggles that we face in day to day, it's the battle of faith. Is God really good? Is God really going to come through? We know it says it in the Bible. I know I have it in here, but do I really trust that he's going to come through? That he's going to take down the walls? That he's going to give us the actual land? He brought us in the land, but is he really going to give us the land? Can we really make it through all these battles? Is he really going to hold us up? And the thing with battling, what it does it does something that we Americans really can't stand. It reminds us how weak we are. And we don't like to be weak. I know I don't in my flesh. I don't like to be weak. I don't like to be seen as weak and vulnerable, crying up here in front of you guys. Like oh, what do they think about me? I mean, there's all kinds of weirdness we have about weakness and vulnerability. But in the Bible it talks about that's where the power of God rests on his people, is in our weakness. And with battling, if you don't see that you're weak, you're getting taken out, and you might not even think you're getting taken out. Because when we're weak, we see that God is awesome. and he's powerful, and he sure, as heck, does come through. Ephesians 6 tells us that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers. In other words, the battle isn't so much in the scene, but it's in the unseen. There's a spiritual dynamic going on in our midst that's one of warfare. There's a battling going on right now. And so we might look at, you know, all these battles we're going to look at and read through in Joshua and be like, oh, we don't get it. We should because the New Testament says there's tons of warfare going on right now. And a lot of times we think our big struggles, it has to do with people. Oh, man, if they would just get their stuff together oh, man, if I could just figure out the best way my kids to just get this into them, then, then it would be, you know, my, you know that, 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 that's the main battle. Oh, if this person would just be loving. Or sometimes it's just it's us. We just look at ourselves and like, man, if I would just get my stuff together. And the Bible says behind a hard heart, behind addiction, behind bitterness, behind all these real human predicament things that are hard and rough, there's this spiritual unseen thing going on. There's an enemy called Satan and demons. They're behind this stuff. They're behind that stuff. There's a spiritual reality to this. The kingdom of God. It's a real thing. It's a real thing. That's why I love some of those movies like the Harry Potter stuff and I don't know, like Star Wars and all these things where you got like this, 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 the really thin line between the natural and the spiritual, or the the magic and the non-magic world. There's just like, it kind of helps provoke in me like, oh yeah, that's like what the Bible talks about, the kingdom of God. Like, there's all this spiritual reality stuff going on, though we can't see it, that totally has huge ramifications in the natural world. And so there's a lot of warfare going on right now. And the good news is, is Ephesians 1 actually tells us that Jesus has been given all authority. It's all his. He has all authority in the church, and he's, he's the one who fills all in all. He's the one who resources us with everything we need, everything we need. It's all him. He has it. He's defeated Satan. He's defeated death. He's defeated sin. Jesus is the hero. He's reigning on high. He even said himself, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. He's the one we look to. He's the powerful one. He has it all. All things are under his feet. And the cool thing is if you read on after Ephesians 1, it says, we, it says we've been raised with him. In Christ Jesus. So we have the, his authority on us, if you're his child, where you can exercise that, his authority. You can walk in it. So there's victory. There's victory. The Bible even says you don't lack a spiritual thing from God. If you're in Christ, you don't lack anything in Christ Jesus. He, he, you have all the resources you need in him. But the enemy wants to take us out and have us not believe that truth. And doesn't want us to think God can take down walls, can take down things that are going on in our life. And we all have some Jericho walls in our life. And that may sound cheesy, but it's not. It's like true. Maybe it does sound cheesy. Maybe it is, sound, you know, one sense because it's like, oh, yeah, walls of Jericho falling down. But, but it's real. Relational strife, parenting, your job, what's going to happen about tomorrow, the division we just see in the world, people wanting to come to faith, I don't know about you, but I look at my neighbors, I just want them to come to know Jesus, and look, how is that going to happen? I mean, those are walls. God, you got to do something, because I, I, don't, I don't got it, apart from you. We got walls, and we need some faith, because the enemy has, speak, has been speaking lies to us, okay? So that's what we're going after this morning. We're going to be talking about that. And, I, and, I, and my hope for us this morning is there, we're all going to participate in God just removing stuff in our life that are, they're paralyzing us right now. And we're not seeing the awesome presence of God in our midst and seeing him work. So that's my hope. I'm going to pray into that. Jesus, I pray you'd remove disbelief right now in anybody. You call us to faith. You're here with us right now. But you're also fine Letting us just sit in our fear, in our disbelief, or our cynicism, and waiting. Waiting for us just to take you at your word. And I don't want that. I want to take you at your word. And I ask anyone here that would agree with me in that, that they would, in their heart right now, just say, yes, I want you. Will you work right now? Would you set captives free in this room? Because we need it. Everyone here needs it. But when we say it, when we say, God, come and work, I believe you can I don't feel it, but I believe you can. That's where I am. You can. And I choose to believe. I choose to trust you this morning. Work, Jesus, for your name's sake. So you would be glorified this morning. So we would walk out of here saying, Wow, we met with Jesus. Amen. So Joshua 5, verse 13, is where we're starting. So you can follow along there. I'm, I'm going I'm to go ahead and read out the passages today. So listen. I want you to listen, though. I'm going to read them out. Joshua 5, verse 13. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes, and he looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with a drawn sword in his hand. That's an intense picture right there. And Joshua went to him, and he said to him, are you for us? Or for our adversaries. And he said, this is the person he's talking to. No. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. So we have here in the beginning of the passage, Joshua is surveying the land. He's looking at Jericho. He's walking around, checking out the place that they're supposed to take. And Jericho is massive and just a really powerful city. I know Joshua has a lot of faith, but there has to be at some points he's wondering to himself, how the heck are we going to take this city? How is this going to happen? But then he meets and encounters this, this, this person. And, that, and the question we, you know, makes you ask is, who is this person? Who is the commander of the Lord's army? And I believe it's not merely a, a, an angel encounter, but I, I think it's a theophany. You can go different ways on this. Um, uh, a theophany is essentially just a, a visible appearance of God to humans. You see that especially in the Old Testament a number of times. And either way, whoever you see this person as, God is, his presence is there. And he's humbling Joshua right now. And the commander of the army of the Lord. uh, One thing that, as I was praying through this and my study, studying this this week, I think it's so amazing how God can tailor his presence to us in light of our needs, our specific needs. You know, you see sometimes, you know, in the Bible, God's called, you know, a shepherd. And we need that. We need that, that thought of a shepherd just being guided as a sheep that just is kind of figuring out where to go next. But what Joshua needs right now is a warrior. He needs a warrior king. He needs, he needs a general showing him. He's, so, someone's at the helm other than him and the Israelites that's going to be in charge of the situation. And I just love how God, how God just meets him in that kind of picture, gives him exactly what he needs. And I don't know about you, there's sometimes in my life I don't, just, I don't need to be merely comforted by God and held by him, which is great. I need that a lot of times. But sometimes I need him to look across me with a drawn sword, and just, and with a fire in his eyes, saying, let's go. We're going to take this. Because I go before you, because I am the captain of this ship. I am leading. And we need that. I think that's such a powerful picture there, of how God can reveal himself sometimes to us. And then Joshua, we see in this passage, he asks, the commander of the army of the Lord, he asks, are you for or against us? That's the question he brings before him. And then the response that Joshua gets is very interesting. The answer is no. Or, or it's neither. In fact, the Hebrew word used there, it's actually really difficult to kind of translate. You can, it could can be many different things. But the idea behind that word, it's a negative. And the big idea behind that negative response was that Joshua was essentially not asking the right question. That's kind of what was be, Joshua was being confronted with. It's not really the issue, Joshua, if, if, if you will. That's not really what you should be concerned with, Joshua. It's not the right question. And the reason it's, well, actually, I'll say this. The, well, I'll say this. The reason it's not the right question is that what Joshua's realizing is that God actually doesn't take sides, He doesn't take sides. I don't know, have you ever asked God that? God, are you on my side? I don't know if you ever asked God of that. But think about it, even if you didn't, if you asked God, God, are you on my side? And he responded to you, no. How, how, like, how would that make you feel? Think about that. God's like, no, I'm not on your side. There's a little cut it? I was sitting with that cut all week, man. It's like, no. Wow. No, I'm not on your side. Does that mean if if he says no that he's against you? No, it doesn't necessarily mean he's against you. That, that, That doesn't necessitate that. But it's interesting to think about. But really the passage, what it's trying to say is it's the wrong question. It's the wrong question. And I think some of the cut that we feel, especially in our American Christianity, is we might not say it outright, like are you on our side, but man, we're sure as heck hoping God blesses everything we plan and expect. Which I think is another way of saying, are you on my side? And not that it's bad to want him to bless things that you're doing. Don't get me wrong there, but but it's another thing when it doesn't happen the way we want, how we respond to God in that way. And God is essentially saying to Joshua here, there's only one side, man. There's only one side, and it's my side. It's my side. Very humbling to hear that. There's only one side. It's my side. God makes clear to Joshua that it's, that the plan that Joshua is going to be operating out of, it's not going to be Joshua's. It's not going to be any smart person in the Israelite community. It's going to be God's plan. This is God's plan from the beginning. It's God's strategy. It's God's mission. It's God's. Now, is Joshua going to be on God's side? That's the right question. Am I doing what you want me to do, God? Good. Yeah, good question. And guys, I think, man, I, I know for me when I was sitting with this, how much it's easy just to go through our week and our day and just be on a kind of coast that where we assume we're doing things that God wants us to do. And we don't stop and say, God, were you pleased with that? Is this what you want me to be doing with my day? Is this what you want me to be doing with my life? Those are very pleasing things to the Lord when we're asking him the, those questions. And he's delighted to, to guide us in those questions. We see it in the New Testament church as well. Romans 8, it says, And we know, Paul says this, that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Now, a lot of people will stop right there for good, and they just assume, well, everything I want, I better get, and if I don't, then God must not be good. And that's a pretty dramatic way to say that, but again, what do we do? When things go wrong in our life, circumstances, people, situations, things let us down, we let ourselves down, how do we respond to God? That's an indicator on what we're really believing about God's goodness. Because we got to read on. We don't stop there. Because if we stop there, I mean, there's all kinds of things that go wrong. We lose passion to really ask God for specific things because we're supposed to ask a dad who loves to give his children good gifts. Never stop asking. Bug dad. He wants to be bugged. Ask him for specific things. Ask him for things that you want and desire. And you know what? Sometimes he says no, and he's still good. But sometimes I think we're afraid to even go there because we're like, well, what if we don't get it? Then is he going to be good anymore? Yeah, he's going to be good. And you're not all-knowing. He is, so ask. And if he doesn't give, then you say, okay, God, you know what's best. I follow you. There might be a lot of tears and a lot of pain in that. And then we pick ourselves up and we ask again and we ask again and we move forward with different things. But we got to read on, for those who are called according to his purposes. We have been saved and set apart to live for his purposes and his ways. And sometimes we don't know exactly what those are. But we know, know too, the next verse, it actually says to be conformed into the image and likeness of his son. But guess what that is? What was Jesus all about? The Father's will. He only did what the Father told him to do. So guess what we're being changed into? Ultimately, everything that's happening to us is always good in Christ Jesus because he's wanting to use all of it to make us more like Jesus. We would be people saying, not my will, but yours be done. And that cuts our flesh. It cuts at our individualism. It cuts out our uh, cuts out our comfort for our uh, worship of comfort. Not my will, but yours. We done be done. And that's why Joshua. Look how he responds. What does he do? He falls on his face and he worships. It's like what Moses did at the burning bush in Exodus, if you remember. Take off your sandals. You're on holy ground. Worship. That's the response. It's worship. And I love that because sometimes we get so fixated on getting specific guidance from God. That's like it becomes our number one priority. God, will you just tell me what's around the the next corner? Will you tell me what tomorrow holds? Will you tell me what's going to happen with my financial situation, with my job situation? Can you let me know what's going to happen with my kids? Can you let me know what's going to happen with my neighbors, with my missional community? I I could go on, right? God, would you just tell me how this is all going to work out, and then I'll be a fool for you? You just got to let me know you're going to show up in every single way possible about the future, and then I'll do stuff for you. We could tend to do that, right? We fall into that. I do. But the priority, what's so important for believers, more than specific instruction from God, is do we have a posture of worship? Is our heart right? Is our heart posture? God, whatever you're going to do, I'm going to ask for specific things, but I always want to take a posture. Whatever your will is, let it be done. I am yours, you are mine. I go your way, not my way. Amen? And key to worshipful posture, guys, I'll tell you right now, is being weak and needy. Because you can't worship someone who isn't big and strong and bigger than you and bigger than the the obstacle in front of you. You can't. And so you need to be very, very needy, and he needs to be very, very big, and then worship happens. You need to see him. His sword is, is drawn. He's powerful. He's awesome. He looks at Jericho and he laughs. We look at Jericho and we tremble. And apart from God, we should Whatever walls you got in front of you, they're probably really scary. And what's so great about God, he's compassionate towards that because we're finite, we're weak, we're needy, it's hard. But we have a God who is an overcomer, who's powerful, who's mighty to save. What does it look like for you to worship God when impossibilities are in front of you? What does it look like for you to worship God when impossibilities are in front of you? I had one, one, one time in my life, my brother gave me this horrible call, basically letting me know it, it looks like his son's probably going to die through this horrible accident. And uh, the end of the story, just so you know, God did some awesome stuff. He's good, and he's alive, and he's healthy today. But at that moment, that was not... that. That wasn't even in our minds. Like, it, it was bad. It was really bad. My brother's just bawling. And he was overseas at the time, and he was just, he couldn't even be with his, with his kid at the time. And I love, you know, it's my, uh, anyways, my, the family I really, really love. And I remember that moment, I was just struck. Like, the, the, the Jericho wall, man, I was right there. I was like, oh, my goodness, what is happening right now? And God just led me to, like, just cry out over the phone. All I could cry out, I was bawling. And all I could cry out was, God, you are good. God, you are good. God, you are good. And I was just bawling. And all I could say was, God, you are good. You're good. You're good. You're good. You're mighty. You're big. God, you're good. That's all. That's, I'm not even kidding for 10 minutes. That's all. I was crying out. I was loud all over the house, just pacing and bawling and just proclaiming his goodness. And I just can't tell you, like, the peace that, I mean, I was still crying. I still did not know what was going to happen at that time. But that's what, that's what he let me do, is worship. That's worship. I was just worshiping. Was a big wall was right in front of me. I was just worshiping. So what do you do? How do you worship God when impossibilities are in front of you? Let's read on, getting to chapter 6. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out, and none came in, and the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. And I'm just going to make a quick point here before we move on. I just want to say this. Verse 1 is kind of a parenthetical statement, and verse 2, it's, kinda, it's the commander of the Lord's army, he's picking up again, speaking to Joshua. That's, that's what I believe is going on here. This pr- parenthetical statement in verse 1, talking about the walls kind of shut up, basically, it's basically let us know this is a very seemingly hopeless situation. There there ain't nothing coming in, nothing going out. This is, it's impenetrable, okay? And that's what's so crazy about the next verse, in verse two, what the Lord speaks. He says, see, I've given Jericho into your hand. And when you read just 6-2 in light of 6-1, you're just like, wow. That authority and that power. And he doesn't just say, I have given... He doesn't just say, it will be yours. He says, I've already given it to you. That's powerful. Wow, I've already given it to you. And I'm just, I'm just going to make it up. God loves to put great obstacles in front of us. He's okay with that. So then we're utterly weak and, and so dependent on his greatness and his power. You got a wall in front of you? Do not let that take your eyes off of God's greatness. God is so much bigger. And I'll tell you right now, you want to know one of the ways the enemy takes us out of the game? He said he, he keeps us, he keeps our eyes from being on God and being either on yourself or on their circumstances. It's no longer this. We're either like looking at ourselves or looking at somebody else. Or looking at our situation, and we're not looking up. Psalm, what is that? Psalm 121 121. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He's the maker of heaven and earth. What is a wall? He's the maker of heaven and earth. Every day of your life is in his hands. Every breath you breathe is because he allows it. That's power, okay? And our gaze is supposed to be constantly on him. We lose faith because it goes off of him and on to not the maker of heaven and earth. To created things. And the enemy takes us out. And it's really sad when you're a believer and you've been given the very authority of the maker of heaven and earth is upon you. And you don't access it. But we get to stop that, right? We get to choose to say, no. I'm not going to go that way. I want, I want, I want him. I want to I behold him. Joshua 6, picking up with verse, 30, verse 3. You shall march around the city. This is the, the Lord speaking. All the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, trumpets, then all the people shall shout with a great shout and the wall of the city will fall down flat and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. Real quick, I just want to say I wonder how Joshua reacted to this. We actually have a horn here. There you go. You got the. You hear the horn player. No, but that horn is very similar. It's 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 the same kind of horn that they the Israelites would have had going around Jericho, and there was a lot more.